Hang in there, lads. Muster your courage. Things may not be going our way, but we must endure. Victory is within our grasp. Your valor is the only barrier for the tyrant who once was king. I must be losing them. If I do not act swiftly, then we will lose this holy fight. What? You expect a tale at this dire hour? I understand that you find my tales educational and inspirational. Ed ed educational and inspirational. That's it! My fellow countrymen, I know how we shall rest the sweet nectar of victory in this, the battle's climax. For here lies the moment upon which we tread along the finest blades. With the smallest effort will decide the outcome. Master your metal and look to the past. But not just any old past. I will use all my might to focus on specific battles which shall nourish our feeble minds and inspire us to victory. I shall punch through the veil, using this cannon to listen to our heroes of Ramble Shamble. Good day, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ramble Shamble. Now, in connection with the theme that we had last week, we're going to have a similar topic for today. But before that, please uh, like, share, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Comment as well. We'd love to hear your guys' interactions and all of that stuff. But YouTube isn't the only place where you can find us. You can also find us on a few other platforms. Mackie, where, where can they find us? So, hi everybody, I'm in this episode as well, as always. Um, <laughs> so, so guys, you can find us on all the different social medias. We've got our Instagram, we've got our Facebook, we've got our Twitter. We're also on Rumble, which is like basically a competitor to YouTube with more of the sharing sites, so definitely find us there. And we also have a little gaming channel where you can also watch us. But again, guys, the best way to get all of us to speak with us, share ideas, Jenny just insults us to our faces if we want to, is through Discord. Uh, Discord you find through our description in the links of YouTube where you can also comment. But you can also find us by a simple Google search of Ramble Shamble Discord. You'll, find, you'll see a site for Discord and it'll just kind of link you to our Discord channel. And those comments are very useful to us guys and will consistently remind you because it, that's how important it is. And I'm sure Jotun will emphasize on how important that is. So... Um, again, you can find us on any platform of your choice. There are many different podcasting host sites out there and platforms. And basically on anyone under the sun, you could probably find us. So give us a search on that, that platform as well and you'll probably find us. But anyway, the comments that you guys make about the episodes on questions that we ask, we use those comments to make a shorter little episode about the thing that you're interested in and your answers. So after every episode, we choose our favorites response from among the various streams on which you guys may 
provide your insights. And we just riff on that topic for a little bit. So we go into it completely blind. We don't prepare for it or anything, but just using our basic understanding of the of the topic, which oftentimes is actually not basic, but quite quite in depth and out there, then we will choose that and we will talk about it for a little bit. It's something that we enjoy and it's our favorite way of incorporating you guys into the conversation as well. We, that's, that's something that we really value from your guys' side, is how you interact with us and how we can build off of that interaction as well. We also, we also give shout-outs to whoever gives the best comments and ideas. So it's a way to also get your name out there. Feel free to comment. Yeah, one lucky winner. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you're not going to win the jackpot prize or anything like that. This isn't a slot oh. machine that we're running over here. <laughs> no <laughs> casinos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, yes, you will be the lucky winner and we will give you a shout-out. Okay, so let's get to the topic for today. Last week, we talked about the best fictional battles in all of media. And we, oh, first of all, please go listen to that episode if you find any kind of interest in it, because we did have a fun time, and I'm sure that you will as well. But for today, in conjunction with the topic of battles, we have decided to make this episode about the best real-life battle or historical battle. And I am going to give Mackie, who is my co-host, I forgot to introduce him, but Hi. you know, you guys all know him by now. The, the wise, the exalted, the, the man filled with all the sagacity that, that is out there, Mackie. Mackie, greet everyone again, please. I have graced you guys with my presence in this podcast yes. episode. <laughs> yes. Okay, so we're going to be talking about the best real-world historical battles today. And I realize that this, is, this can be a heavy topic because it's got to do with human death. But unfortunately, I think it's actually quite fortunate because, I mean... What else is there that's more glamorized in any kind of media than the big battles out there? Um, but unfortunately, that doesn't incorporate human death. And that's a sad reality. And warfare, like I said in the previous episode, can, well, is very cruel and it's brutal. And nowadays, we forget just how brutal that is because we get a lot of media influence from games and films and things. And so there is a bit of um, desensitization that happens. Um, but, you know, to do away with battles is to do away with all the fun stuff in history. But I have chosen to let Mackie and myself interpret, interpret the word best in whatever way we feel like. Um, so I, for example, am looking for the most influential and, yeah, the, the historical battle that has, like, the biggest footstep and footprint in humanity, at least Western culture. 
So, Mackie, <laughs> what is the spin that you have on best historical battle? Um, and I think I'm going to seed the beginning of answering the question to you. But actually, before we even get to that, um, have you have you noticed anything else interesting about your new life in the UK? Like any interesting things? Like well, I can't just, imagine that the weather is great there. <laughs> just drop the bomb on everyone. Now everyone knows I'm in the UK. Now I'm going to get fans going from the my doorstep to the beginning of the train station. Um, yeah, well... <laughs> Hopefully you don't get people wearing tinfoil hats and a metal detector <laughs> hoping that they'll find you. <laughs> like no, that's that's really that's really scraping the bottom of the barrel for search techniques. <laughs> Got people auguring there with their like rain sticks and stuff trying to find you. Well, I have to say, look, the the travel was the worst part of it, just because flying from our my country that I grew up in to an uh, from whence or- you hailed. Yeah, and basically it just was, yeah, the trip was the worst part, but like landing was very surreal. Even now I like walk around and sometimes I come across a new building and it's it's very fascinating because obviously I'm still like a tourist to the country even though I live in the UK now. But seeing people walk around, they, they like say, oh, this is normal. We've seen it a million, 12 times, but I'll walk past and I'm like, whoa. What's this amazing old building? Whoa, look at the design. It's so unique. Um, so I try to make an omission for myself at least once a week to go do something new. So like every like Saturday, I'll, like tomorrow, I plan to go visit a car museum just to make sure that I'm continuously adventuring in this country that I'm living in and not get complacent like the, the, the natives, if you want to call them that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The people that don't realize what's going on under their noses anymore. Basically. Like even back at our own country, uh, home country, when I was at my, at the home, I didn't even realize that there was a cat cafe like not too far from where I live. And <laughs> only from word of mouth did I figure that out. And you have to – that's the important thing about guys is that sometimes you just have to go, go for it and see if you hear anything of interest and you just go for it. Was was the proprietor of that cafe an old woman with like knitted jerseys and things? <laughs> no, it was actually a looking sad in the corner somewhere. <laughs> was, was, I would say it, it was a, a adult uh, adult lady in her forties, not looking like the typical cat lady. I would say quite the opposite of the typical cat lady, but she seemed okay, very kind. Okay, so like fully fully sane, not not fully crazy sane. and jumping at shadows and things. Okay. <laughs> And the problem about the cat cafe is that when you start eating, the cats like say, ooh, fresh food. And you're, you have to like hold your plate like up high over your head, like take a sandwich, <laughs> take, a, take a bite, put it back on the plate. Because those cats, they, they, they like climbing all over you, just like saying, oh, give me some of that sandwich. I know it's not, hu- it's not cat food, but it's human food. Give me some of that sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to work for your food as well. Basically. <laughs> Okay, I can recommend it. Very cool. Yeah, um, one game that I like to, or mental trick that I like to play on myself sometimes that was recommended by someone very close to me um, is that if you ever feel a bit bored with everyday life and you feel like you're going through the same old routines and things like that, then it's actually, it can give you a really great perspective to act as if 
the area in which you are is a place you've never been before. And to view it as if you're touring from a, you're a tourist from another country, because it can give you a bit of a new outlook on the area around you and the, the things that surround you. Uh, true, but, true. Uh, Very true. Yeah. So I think we can start the topic for today. What is your spin and what is your answer? Oh, I like that. So <laughs> I interpret the best as the one that has, has the potential to so okay guys long story short this one had this story i'm about to say did not start a war but heck it could have started a huge war that would probably change the way america and canada were today but why i how i interpret best as the most the the definitely the interesting but but also a bit of amusing to kind of say how could humanity be such so blind or so um greedy that they almost started something started a huge war for something so trivial so i can i i think i might know this answer <laughs> but, so, but i'll i'll let you go on okay so i'll try to keep it brief but i recommend i really recommend you guys look this up so just after america gained the independence so Things were a bit sensitive between the the newly set, uh, established Americans and the newly and also the Brits who had to say, "Okay, you guys, you independent from us now." So it was a just to give you some background because it's very important. America and Britain had to divide the country of the Northern America in a certain way that meet both requirements. So instead of they tried using a map, and the map that they used was not so accurate. So the first time that they divided lands equally, they did a straight line between Canada, which is uh, which was owned by the Britons, British, and Amer- and America, and they went straight left as uh, as true line. But the problem was that at one point there was a dam or lake that they didn't account for, and there was a dispute on who owned that uh, land between the dam and the lake. So after a long story short. There was a big, uh, the Americans and, and the US started fighting again. Very annoyingly, they had to start fighting again. But then <laughs> they, after some ceasefires, they almost started a war. But after some ceasefires, they decided, okay, straight line approach, not so good. Let us go, let's just divide the Oregon Trail. So they kept going left. And then the Oregon part of the country is the most important part of this uh, story. Dividing that was a real mission and a half. Because the they couldn't really decide wh- who which the land belonged to, so what they did ended up doing was joint occupation. They decided to share it. They, the the having two best of enemies sharing the same piece of land because they couldn't decide who who which uh, couldn't decide on dividing it. The re- the main reason why they couldn't divide it was because the British who was occupying Canadian who was Canada. I'll just call them Canish. Just to kind of combine their names, Kanish. Um, <laughs> they were basically in the business of the, uh, the 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 Kanishites. The Kanishites, okay, the Kanishites. I like that. So <laughs> the Kanishites were in the business of converting beavers into very fine hats, top hats, and they were making a killing in that. But the problem was that the the river that where these beavers were occupying 
were had to be shared with the Americans who were polluting the river and destroying the homes of the beavers. So again, the Kanish, the Kanisht, and the Americans got, were in heavy disputes about to start a war. But then, just before then, they decided, okay, the we'll go, we'll continue the straight line, going straight through the Oregon country, and then it will go from where the line met. Unfortunately, guys, I can't show you a map. It'll go down to the Pacific. Now, the wording of that new uh, land division was very vague because between the it was St. Georgia River. So along the St. Georgia River, it would lead to the go through the canal to the Pacific. But the in the Georgia River, there was a few good pieces of land, a few islands that they didn't couldn't decide which channel the decree was referring to. Now, coming to the long story short, James Douglas is one of the main characters. He was he was a fort. He was the I think he was a minister of the Fort Vancouver, and he truly believed that these islands were British, while obviously the U.S. believed these islands were American. And the governments were so busy on other matters that they they left this kind of dispute for quite a while. They they decided that. Uh, it's it's fine. That that's it's small fries, small fries. But James Cameron, James Douglas, decided that <laughs> James Cameron, he Nick should Cameron. make a movie about this. <laughs> uh, it would be a funny movie though. Um, <laughs> so James Douglas decided that okay, since this land is purely for the British, and because of the gold rush near the Oregon trails, he was concerned that these islands would be overrun by Americans. So before that happened, he invited a, or he asked a Irishman who, who called Charles Griffin yes if you hear Griffin yeah Charles Griffin <laughs> to settle <laughs> in the one of the main islands and set up a sheep farm and so this Irishman which I'll call him Irishman now Irishman decided to settle his sheep farm in this tiny little village and among the sheep he also had a very prized pig a, per- a Berkshire pig so he really loved this pig. This pig was like his whole world. And so he decided to start the start settling in the island. He started building some things with his Hawaiian slave workers. And then the US constant uh, US came around. They saw they were coming to collect tax and they were checking the island's uh, territory where they can collect tax. They noticed why is it that there was sheep on an island? So they entered the island and found that the Irish man had settled and demanded that he pay tax for settling on American soil. The Irishman said, no, this was British soil. And if you don't get get the F off my island, you will be shot or arrested. So there was a big dispute. Eventually, Americans did end up settling in the Irishman's land. I'm cutting quite a bit of the story short. And <laughs> what made it really interesting is that there was a lazy man who I shall not give his name. I'll just call him lazy man. So after the gold rush had ended, the Americans had to settle somewhere. And believing that the islands were American, they decided to settle there. And now Lazy Man, why I call him Lazy Man, decided to settle on top of Irishman's sheep farm on his like open sheep farm area. And he could have opened more land by chopping down some trees or going to settle somewhere else. But no, he was too lazy and decided to settle there. That's only part one why I call him Lazy Man. The second <laughs> part why I call him Lazy Man is that he, he's a potato farmer. So he planted some potatoes 
and decided to fence off the area, but only three sides of the four-sided farm. Oh, bro, so- that's not very politically <laughs> correct. Calling the Irishman a potato farmer. <laughs> not the Irishman, the lazy man. Lazy man from US. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So it's not the Irishman we're talking about. The Irishman was a sheep slash pig farmer. So he, he, he was a cattle farmer. The lazy man from the US was a potato farmer. And so he, he fenced off three of the four sides of his farm. So one side of the farm was exposed. And he did not think that since he planted his potato farm in the middle of a sheep, grazing area that his potatoes would be not eaten but the sheep wouldn't eat potatoes because people will be saying but sheep don't eat potatoes they eat grass and hay and that kind of stuff you're right <laughs> but charles or irishman's prized pig a berkshire pig is an expert at rooting so basically he eats roots which potato is a root so <laughs> irishman <laughs> decided that Sorry, Lazy Man got so annoyed by the fact that his potatoes were consistently eaten that he decided to shoot the pig. Then, after shooting the pig, he decided to go apologize to Irishman about shooting his prized pig. So, after a, when he decided to go to apologize, Irishman demanded Lazy Man to pay him $100, which back then was quite a large sum of money. And basically, the British got involved, the US got involved, and I, I don't know how much time I have left, but I don't want to take too much of it. But at one point, there was a man, General Harney, tried to incite a war between Kanisht and the U and the Americans to start a war over this dispute between this Irishman and this the American because he what he gave the threat at what why how he why he decided that he could do it was that the fact that the island was so far away from the government that if he started the war before the letters for of him trying to start the war got to the government, it, he said that, that well, he devised that the plan was perfect because they would not find out until the war had restarted. And the war was literally about to be fought over, or the war was about to start for just a pig being shot and the Irishman being upset at Lazy Man for the stupidest reasons. Luckily, <laughs> so there's a lot of interesting facts and stories why I really like this story, but the sheer stupidity of both sides and the sheer blind greed of both American and British sides, I have to say, unfortunately, was just so baffling that it was actually really, it, it was amazing that the battle that ensued was just over a simple pig that was shot because he ate potatoes. And that just shows the how sensitive and sensitive the matter was still between the British and Americans, but still how petty they can be. And yeah, luckily the war was not started, so there was definitely a battle, but there was there was no bloodshed. Luckily, besides a pig, if you want to count the pig as a casualty of war, <laughs> but yeah, l- luckily the matter was settled. And they decided to, in the island after the battle, they decided to do a joint occupation of both Brit- milit- uh, British military as well as American military to take uh, residence on the territory. And then they ended up having quite a. They actually started being good friends, funny enough. All the army people, the two sides of the army, they celebrated each other's holidays, they got closer, 
But then, obviously, what happened afterwards was the Great American War. But that's a whole different story that I'm not going to touch on. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. The, the reason, basically, why I like the story is that it just stands out from most of the wars. You wouldn't really consider something like so trivial as a pig being shot off over eating potatoes as a reason to start a war. And the fact that the British and Americans wanted to fight over the smallest things was just baffling in my mind. Interesting, interesting. It's a good, a good one. Okay, <laughs> so it might be hard to beat. I'm sure the master way of handle it. <laughs> yeah. So the way that I defined the base battle again is by saying the most influential one, I think, um, at least in modern times, and also the well, I guess that that basically is the one that has the biggest footstep. Um, now, my logical answer to this question would be that the most influential battle is the Battle of Troy by Homer um, in the Iliad. But wow. that is a bit sketchy um, because one of the first things you learn as a cultural historian and someone who learns about culture in general is that there is myth, there is legend, and there is history. Myth is a story that or and fairy tales um myth is a story that happens so far in the past uh, of human history that so nebulous that you have supernatural forces that interact in that human past as well and it's oftentimes about the gods and mythical creatures and things like that but you do also get humans that that um, that live in those stories. But it was so long ago, and the story has been built upon and exaggerated so much that there isn't a lot of reality that happens in there. Or, or there is the real world, but there's a lot of supernatural and paranormal and mystical divine forces happening inside those stories as well. Now, that, that's history. That's like... Just to throw a ballpark figure out there, let's say it's 100,000 years ago, whereas legend is more contemporary, um, but it's still in the point of history where we're not exactly sure of exactly what the events were anymore. Um, and you do exaggerate the, the big figures from the like the big heroes and the big figures that were inside those occurrences. Like Heracles. And Heracles. So like um, Heracles and some of the other Greek heroes do fall closer into mythology, but they are definitely legendary and legends because um, a lot of the places in Greece, for example, um, like they will say like, this is where Hercule, uh, Heracles came from. And the royal line can draw their direct ascendance from Heracles. In fact, this is where Heracles died, right here on this rock or inside <laughs> this cave. And this is his skull or whatever. And then there'll be like a, some big-ass skull that they found somewhere and like the, the skull of a giant or something and the skeleton. And yeah, but anyway, so that'll be like let's throw a random figure of like 10 generations ago and 
but but ten generations is enough time for people to have built up the the renown and the the story of Heracles, where he's doing ridiculous things and awesome things like throwing ten ton rocks over his head and stuff like that. And he fought the Linnaean Hydra, which is basically a dragon and things <laughs> like that. So that's that's where legend is situated. It's where you can draw dis- direct descendants from the figures being spoken about and the time being spoken about. That, but there's still still enough time that has passed um, for the story to have been really embellished, and it's massive battles and things happening, and things of an epic proportion. And that's where I think the Iliad is situated. Because it's about what we think of as the Minoan Greeks, as but but like the end of their civilization, and the Mycenaean Greeks as well, which was actually also coming to a close around about the time that Homer is said to have written about the Iliad, or when the Battle of Troy was meant to have happened. And you can clearly see that in the narration of the story as well, because you do have their gods playing their their plots, like Zeus and all of them are on either side of whether they support the Trojans or the Greeks. And so they're influencing things happening, but they don't necessarily take direct part in the story. It is for the main part an epic story, and epics are normally about humanity. Um, but it is an epic story where they influence affairs a little bit. And so that's why I didn't choose the Iliad, because I, I don't think we can say for certain that it's purely historical. Um, yeah. But then you get actual history, which is like written records, um, technically speaking, although you do also get oral histories, which is just like a very strong tradition of verbally telling your children about events in the past. And that is also kind of where um, where the Iliad is situated because... Uh, sorry, just wanted to confirm here. Um, is this the battle you're talking about? Because are you just telling about the options that you thought of to build up to your battle? Sorry, because you mentioned the whole Troy for... Yeah, so so I didn't choose the Battle of Troy. Okay. That happens in the Iliad, I'm, and I'm explaining why. Because this is a bit of a nebulous thing about legend and actual history. So that's why I didn't choose Troy. And instead, I chose what I think is the next best thing. Uh, thank you for bringing me back home. I was, I was <laughs> getting a bit crazy there. But but to finish off the sentiment as well, um, folk tales and fairy tales happen in a totally different sphere. They happen where we can't say that it happened at a specific place or a specific time. And because of that, um, they're actually so much more powerful than either myth or history, I think, because they're not being in a place or a time actually makes it so that you can apply it in any place or any time. And that's why stories like Red Riding Hood or something also have really deep meanings for us in modern times, as they had in Middle Ages Europe. Um, Because 
you can apply to anywhere. But anyway, the historical battle that I chose, I think, is the next best uh, compared to the Iliad and the Battle of Troy. And especially in modern times, because there was a massive movie that came out and became like a cultural juggernaut in the 2000s. And that is the Battle of Thermopylae. Thermopylae is the Battle of the 300 Spartans. And it was written, funnily enough, by the father of history, Herodotus, in his histories. And I mean, I don't think anyone can dispute how much of a cultural stamp this movie placed on us and this battle in general has on us. I mean, it's one of the first battles ever written about as a historical battle. And I don't think I've heard of this story. <laughs> I'm not a history nerd. Let me clue you in a little bit. Okay. Please teach me. I've so, got my pen and paper. <laughs> so the Battle of Thermopylae was around 480 BC and it was in central Greece in a mountain pass called Thermopylae during the Persian Wars. The Greek forces, which were mostly Spartan, were led by Leonidas. And um, after three days of holding their own against the Persian king Xerxes, they were unfortunately betrayed by um, maybe a bit of a legendary figure, um, that cripple. That oh, is this the 300 the Persian... movie? Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. It's a story about the 300 Spartans. Okay, I'll give you that, I'll give you that. Okay. Yeah, and the movie 300 is the reason why it became so prominent in pop culture again in the 2000s. Um, so, yeah, uh, Xerxes overthrew them eventually because of that betrayal. But Leon, we're not exactly sure if it was 300 Spartans, but that's how Herodotus proclaims it and recorded it. So, yeah. But the, the, the origins of the battle can be traced to Xerxes' predecessor, who was Darius I, who uh, sent heralds to the Greek cities about 10 years before the battle and tried to get them to accept Persian rule. But the Greeks were very proud people. And the Athenians were so, like, so proud that they actually tossed the Persians into a pit. So it wasn't the, the Spartans, which the movie got a bit, uh, like, <laughs> played up the Spartan role a bit more. But the Spartans did so as well, and they threw them into a well. Um, no. And of course, yeah. And even back in those days, there was a rule. You never harm an emissary or someone who represents another royal um another royal body and so the the persians were offended by that the whole ancient world knew that rule and so they decided it's time to go invade the greeks and so the greek city states tried to get like a, a force together but it was before the Greeks were like viewed themselves as Greeks at that stage they viewed themselves as city-states so the the Spartans weren't allied with the, the Athenians in fact they hated each other um, but they were like maybe allied with some other Greek city-states um, and when Greece started to view itself as what we view itself in or view it in modern Greece was more actually the 
the war that was after this war. Um, and that's where the, Greek, the Athenians got everyone together in the Delian League. But that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about this awesome battle. <laughs> okay, so Xerxes led a vast army overland from the Dardanelles, which is like a river um, somewhere. And his forces quickly seized like most of northern Greece and began moving south. And the Greeks of resistance tried to keep them slow at Thermopylae um, and at the seas in the Straits of Artemisium. But the Greek, uh, uh, and so the Greek army was led by Leonidas, this absolute hero of a man who was the king of Sparta. Um, and it estimates that he had like 7,000 men. So it was 3, 300 Spartans who were his personal bodyguard. But for some reason, like a cultural festival, he wasn't allowed to bring the actual Spartan army with him. And, um, but he was like, screw that, I'm going to take this personal bodyguard of myself and go with him. And the rest of the 7,000 were other Greek city-states, but, you know, we don't really count them because <laughs> they weren't the Spartans, you know? Um, and it's true, the Spartans lived up to their reputation. They were absolute powerhouses in the Greek world. And it's, it's, not, it's not for no reason that the movie asks, uh, Gerard Butler asks, what is your profession to the Spartans? And like they give a war cry or something, but basically they were saying, we're badass soldiers. Whereas other Greek city-states, it's the normal citizens that have armor and things that would be the, the warriors. But they're not necessarily like a warrior. It's not their job. It's like they're a wealthy merchant and because they can afford their own suit of armor, they happen to be part of the the army and whenever a they, they get enlisted for a battle then they get drafted into the army but the spartans man this was their life it was their whole culture and so for two days the the, the greeks led by the spartans were able to hold off the persians because the straits or me i mean the pass of thermopylae was a very constricted space and so only a limited amount of Persians could go through there at any one time. And then because the Spartans were so efficient, they were able to lead the Greek, force, Greek forces in holding them back for these two days. Um, and it's only when they were betrayed that they, by a guy called Ephialtes that um, the Persians were able, able to overthrow them. Now, this guy, Ephialtes, this traitor, we don't know if it exactly happened like this. But Herodotus is the father of history, and this is how he told it, so this is the gospel truth. <laughs> <laughs> this is all that we know. And it makes for a great story. I mean, betrayal is such a hook for a great story, man. And the betrayal could have been so easily avoided if, he, if Leonidas was not as prideful as he was and just enlisted the traitor when he requested please can I be part of your army so um, as a result of this uh, a massive part of the Greek resistance was killed and Leonidas was forced to call a war council and they decided in general that Rashid was the best option but 
the, as the majority of the Greek army retreated, Leonidas, his 300 bodyguards, and some slaves by the Spartans, because they had a, a slave class um, called the Helots, um, and about 1,000 other people uh, from Greece, the Boeotians, stayed behind because they thought that retreating was defying and like going against the whole Spartan way of life. And they held their ground against the Persians um, for a while, but couldn't overthrow that vast force that was com coming at the, the few of them that was left over. And remember as well, Xerxes was able to outflank them now as well, because mm. they were betrayed. Um, yeah, but then eventually the news of the defeat uh, reached the, the, the home place in Artemisium, and the Greek forces further retreated. And that let the Persians come into Greece. And so, yeah, this is a massive cultural touchstone for us now. And it's only in the next war where the Athenians had such a awesome navy that they were able to eventually get the Persians out of Greece again. But what actually is so awesome about this battle is the narration of it. And that's what history is when you look at it in the end, because it was how Herodotus spoke about it. And he has like these awesome quotes that the Spartans are saying, which are actual quotes in his history of like, um, if like some uh, Persian emissary was saying, and I've said this before on the podcast, that we have so many archers that the arrows would literally bl blot out the light of the sun. And then some badass archer is proposed by Herodotus to have actually said, then we will fight in the shade. And it goes <laughs> like it's totally in sync with the Spartan way of life as well, because they were taught to basically be wise asses and just wise cracks because um, they were punished as they were growing up if they would ramble about things and they weren't clear and concise about what they wanted to be. But they were also rewarded for being snarky little shits. And so, like, I mean, they were just taught to be wisecracks all the time. And it was like a very smart kind of humor. So, I, I mean, the movie just sells it perfectly as well. They, they would have given those snarky answers all the time that are like actually insults at the same time. Yeah. So this is just such a legendary battle. Yeah. Yo, when you're talking about that, I know the 300 movie is like the more one that stands out, but I cannot help think of the epic movie. Was it the epic movie or was it the Spartan movie? No, it's epic movie. You're right. It's epic movie. And just remembering, like, when you were saying they need to be smart uh, smart asses, and they were having that, like, your mom is so fat that when she went on the scale, it said, to be got to Oh, yeah. And they're like, whoa! <laughs> you know, I never actually thought of epic movie until now again. But <laughs> actually, they weren't even making, like, a, sat a satire or parody of the Spartan. Actually, they were totally in sync with what the Spartans would have been like in yeah. the modern day. <laughs> yeah. Okay, 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 wait, 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 wait. That is a bit more gangster <laughs> than how the Spartans would have been. Yeah, the Spartans obviously. would probably have been like British humor, like smart humor that has layers <laughs> to it. But, but it, it just geez, reminds me of I never thought everything. of a big movie. So that is actually really in sync 
or when they were like saying, uh, the cards say that our abs are sprayed at, uh, sprayed on. And he's like, oh, look at our abs. And you see the fat guy getting like, they're like, yeah. on his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But geez, man, I actually never really realized that I completely forgot about the epic movie. How could you? It's such a ideal but they, movie. But they are so true to the Spartan mockery then. <laughs> yeah, big time. 100%. It was yeah. a true, true mockery of the thing. Although they did go over the top, like uh, the final battle you see when it's like full GTA uh, 5 mode and you like see like the gun marks and he drives a car. But all in all, they do get, they do nail some parts and just like overemphasize the funniness of it. Yeah, what did what did you think of the movie 300 when it when it came out? When I watched it when I was younger, I was it was a bit. I wasn't too interested in it because it was a bit. We were like, like eleven. We yeah. were eleven when it came out. No, so my folks were very hesitant to show it to me, and when I did eventually mm. see it, it was just too dark, too too slow for me. Like Lord of yeah. Rings has that like fantasy side, which makes it like really interesting. But it's not like yeah. uh, that kind of movie. I don't mind watching it. Just that's not something that I'm gonna say. Yeah, definitely have to watch it. But yeah, it's good. I, I will say like the the sequel made me laugh. Hey, the sequel is funny as heck. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jeez, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. But definitely, definitely two movies worth watch. But it's not like a movie that I will rewatch. Do you remember what the sequel is called? I can't remember it. I'm being tr- I'm being like sitting here trying to think. What is that stinking cord? It's something... <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up. But um, we are drawing close to the end of this episode. So I am going to present our mystery question <gasps> for you. Okay. Yes. Now, uh, again, battles and warfare can be a grim topic because of all the human life that is lost. But there are also some edge cases of wars and battles out there that are just totally off the wall they're just ridiculous affairs so my question for you Mackie, is what is the craziest war or battle or most ridiculous or just like left you flabbergasted that you've ever heard of well that, i know this is a weird one and it's a bit difficult to answer look look, look i do know a lot of wars and there's some really amazing ones and like, I know I've basically given my one that flabbergasted me the most with the pig story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because to start a war over that little thing. But there's, there's like a lot of times where it's just amazing. Like, like both, uh, let's, let's consider Napoleon, um, for example. Napoleon wasn't even French. But then he became the emperor of France because of his epic uh, war tactics that he's able to employ. And he... Mm. He dominated Europe. He properly dominated Europe. His tactics were like so sound that he could dominate any army. Everyone was like fearing the guy because he was so damn smart. And yeah. to be completely undecided by a guy that was from a minor nobility from a random island that didn't even, and he hated the French, to becoming the emperor of France and loving the French. It was just flabbergasting to me to think that that's yeah. a point of history. To define, and as well, he fought for all, uh, the the revolution to overthrow the monarchs. So in a way, he kind of enticed the monarch monarch era to come to an end. So who to say was he really a bad guy? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but but that's also interesting about the the reputation of the French nowadays in pop culture. 
and their military exploits. I was mm. I was listening to a video about this the other day as well, because the French have such a good track record in terms of the wars that they did. Like oui, oui. they lost actually relatively few compared to how much wars and battles they were a part of. Yeah. But um, I think the, the the other video I watched suggested that it's actually from The Simpsons, where I think Willie calls them cheese-eating surrender monkeys. <laughs> that <laughs> we, we, like pop culture has this idea of them people being people that lose and surrender the whole time. But especially be, after Napoleon, I mean, they were powerhouses in the warring world as well. Yeah. But let me give you my answer to this question. Okay. Have you ever heard of the Great Emu War? Great. I think I've heard of it. I can't. I don't think I've read it up. I think I saw it once in like a little Google search of funny wars that I, I occasionally do. But please, yeah. give me detail. I haven't gone into it. Okay. So the Great Emu War was actually a war about how Australia started a war against those flightless birds and lost, actually. He <laughs> lost? Yeah. What the heck? <laughs> and they lost. Okay. So if anyone doesn't know what an e- emu is, it's spelled E-M-U. And it's a smaller variant of an ostrich that comes from Australia. And so in 1932, the Great Depression led Australia to declare war on one of its flightless birds. The emu. It was um, it proved to be a completely futile thing. Any kind of victory that they they won was a peric victory, and um, yeah, it came to be known as the Great Emu of Western Australia. And uh, they lost this full-scale war against the birds. But wh- why did they start it? Was it like were they eating the crops, or were they like? Breaking, entering, seeing everyone's belongings, and running off into the wilderness. Yeah. So <laughs> the 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 policy uh, entailed compensating like over five thousand soldiers um, with huge amounts of farmland for cultivating wheat and sheep, um, and the they they saw it as like um, hope for a new life. Um, despite the fact that it was very remote and the lands were quite inhospitable. But emus devastated this new farmland um, about about seven years after it was allocated to the veterans, and they just weren't able to cope with the menace that was these flightless birds. And they were reclassified from a protective species to vermin. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so, like, over 20,000 emus were basically just running amok in those farmlands and eating everybody's crops. And around the same time, the Great Depression caused a massive surge in agricultural products. And the farmers' lives just became more and more difficult. And because they never had enough ammunition to kill all the emus, um, not the emus, the emus, <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, let me just like re say that sentence for the edit. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> because... no. We, we're keeping it. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. Because they never had enough ammo for the emus. There, I said it right this time. Um, the farmers actually threatened to completely abandon the land um, if the government didn't protect them and find better land for them. 
for relocation. And so the Australian army decided to intervene and pressure some things. But um, yeah, this, this, this story is getting a bit long now and we're getting close to the end of the episode. But basically they realized that there are too many of these rampant birds out there in the farmlands for us to handle. And so the army acknowledged that each pack seems to have its own leader now, a big black plumed bird which stands fully six feet high and keeps watch while his mates carry out their work of destruction and warns them of their approach. And that's an actual quote by Major GPW Meredith <laughs> of the 7th Heavy Battery of Royal Australian Artillery. Yeah. So, yeah, man, they that, lost. That's They bit off more than they could chew. And I'm just looking at the size of their brains because comparing... So this is what baffles me in human history is that maybe we're, we're just like... We're just so, we involved, but I don't think to a certain degree that we have involved. But like we got... They got beaten by a bird who just has physical strength. No no major intelligence behind them. So these farmers just got whitewashed. Like I, I don't know, maybe you and me would like think of better ways to make traps or use our tools to overcome this challenge but ba for people back then it was like something so baffling to them that they say oh no we must shoot this thing like and then they get so fixated on that one idea in their failure and said oh well we failed <laughs> and you can't blame them because it's what they know they were veterans and they knew how to shoot stuff with guns mm. but like <laughs> i don't know about you but we have played a lot of left for dead together <laughs> and my immediate idea was just like a me, uh, an emu version of a pipe bomb. Exactly. Just like something they are super interested in them in, uh, that super interests them. And you just like hide some TNT under there <laughs> with a nice long fuse. And then you just watch the fireworks happen, my friend. Well, thank you for that wily coyote. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you guys don't know... Speedrunner and Wiley Coyote from Looney Tunes. Uh, Speedrunner was an emu, and Wiley Coyote oh, would wow. try to kill him. Yeah. Um, she, oh, jeez. The, the bird was an emu. I'm pretty sure it was an emu. And would always outrun it through like explosions and that kind of stuff. Maybe that was enticed by the war. Who knows? <laughs> that I'd stop yeah, man. <laughs> Historical precedents come from nowhere. Hey. <laughs> I, I bet you. I, was, was that by Walt Disney as well? I believe so, By yeah. Disney. Yeah. Uh, you you see, they also knew that there was some some gold in the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we are going to wrap it up for today. Aww. And I pose for the audience, what do you think is the best battle of history? Uh, you, again, you can interpret that in any way you want. You can be like the one that had the 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 biggest media about it or the one with the best propaganda, maybe a little bit of espionage or something. However you define it, what was your, what is the best battle? And I guess also, what's the most ridiculous battle in history that you've also heard of? Yeah. And that we will, I mean, where can they put this information for us, Mackie? So one of the 
easiest way to do it is to do it through our YouTube because, again, guys, we post these videos at the same time as the Spotify, our Apple, our Stitcher, our Google Podcast, pretty much all our podcast channels. But easiest way to communicate this is our YouTube uh, comments. But the best way, because you guys need to know the best, the easiest is not always the best. The best way is to join our Discord. And our Discord can be easily found in the description. And that way you can communicate directly. Yes, you heard me right. Directly to myself, Mackie, and Jotun. And we don't just use those that Discord channel for your comments. It's there to grow a community where we play games, talk about history. You guys tell us about maybe possible future topics. And again, guys, if you really enjoyed this episode, don't be afraid to listen to the other episodes. They, we, we cover a wide variety of topics. And maybe this topic wasn't quite interesting. If it was interesting to you, then I strongly suggest you listen to the previous one because Greatest Media Battles also is quite interesting. But again, guys, yeah. there's, there's a topic for even anyone. And we would love to hear you guys' feedback in terms of that. And those com- and those topic ideas, geez, that would be amazing for us to kind of tackle the things that interest you the mostly. But those comments are also very handy because, as you heard, I'm very depressed that this episode is now coming to an end. Only if there was something to kind of add on, that extra 15 to 20 minutes. Jotun, I don't know. What can we do? Yeah. So, like, I, I often listen to some YouTube videos and things, and then I, I feel like they, they didn't give enough examples or... Um, I know a bit more about that kind of thing, so I feel like they they missed out on something quite important. And that's why we like to provide you guys with a little bit extra at the end of these longer episodes as well. And that's where your comments come in. So we, like, let's not kid ourselves. We, all of us know a lot or a little bit about a lot of things, and we don't know everything and for that reason we ask you guys a question related to the episode so that we can talk about something that you suggest because maybe we don't know about it we find it interesting we do a little research although we don't really you know we like to come unprepared for that stuff and we talk about your answer and yeah it's like it's it's like our little on call that you guys can provide for us now we don't know if you guys are standing and clapping and whatever inside of your place and you know trying to get an encore for it that way and how could we that's why we communicate through the internet this is where you can be a part of this experience as well so please drop us a a comment answer one of those questions uh what's your best battle and what's the most ridiculous one that you've ever heard of and we will do a small ramble shrapnel episode episode about that um yeah a little bit or piece of the bigger episode so that was today's topic we were again joined by mackie who chose something that i have never heard of before (laughs) in my life um but it's great now i have an extra story that i can tell friends as well when when i want to give them a bit of a laugh (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this was Ramble Shamble. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone.